Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. When I was younger, I didn't like the Psalms. I'd have to read through the Bible or do devotions, and, and oh boy, they're all just kind of saying the same thing, and here we go again. But the older I got, um, the more I began to love the Psalms. And they're really the, the heart, the emotion of Scripture is found in the Psalms. So much rich uh, poetry, and originally they were all songs, and so I can only imagine the music and the worship that would go on as uh, people would read through and sing through the Psalms. So today I wanted to look at one of my favorite Psalms, that of Psalm 46. So we will read it here together first. This is to the choir master of the song of the sons of Korah, according to the Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. When I was younger, my family used to uh, go to Colorado, uh, not every year, but often as I was a kid, just for vacations. And one year as we went, uh, it was sometime like in late summer, August, maybe early September. But I remember it being very warm, back in Nebraska anyway. And where we were uh, at that time in Colorado, we saw a little bit of snow up on kind of the side of this slope that led up towards a mountain. And not so steep that you couldn't get to it, or so we thought. So uh, we thought it'd be cool if uh, my dad and I, we were going to walk up there, get some snow, and bring it back since it was the middle of summer. So we start climbing up there, and as we began, we realized this is much farther away than we thought it was, looking at it from the car. And as we get closer, and we're probably at least halfway up there, um, as, and as you're familiar, or if you're familiar with the weather patterns near the mountains, they can come and change rather quickly. And so a storm came up very suddenly. And uh, I remember being completely and totally terrified. And we're, it's too far to run back. If we go up, that's only going to be worse. And so we found this underneath the, the cleft of this boulder. And so I remember laying in there, and my dad laying kind of like in front of that. 
and kind of shielding me with his jacket or something. And then meanwhile, my mom and my sister in the van watching that, terrified because they couldn't see us at that time, wondering what in the world happened to us and what's going on as this thunderstorm rolled through. Thankfully, nothing happened other than we got wet and had a good story to tell later. Uh, But I remember being very comforted, though, in the fact that uh, as I was there and that storm was raging, I felt a lot better, still scared, but better because my father was there with me. He was protecting me as well as he could from that experience. And so, you know, as kids often do, then you, you think about, well, boy, you know, my dad can protect me from anything. My parents can help me through anything. But, but sadly, it was only a few years later that my parents went through a divorce and my dad was gone. And I remember feeling the, the pain, the, the shaking of the foundations, as is mentioned in this chapter here. So here's my whole world has been torn apart because what was once my fortress, what was once my refuge, metaphorically speaking, was now gone, was removed. And so what did I do then? I floundered for a while and things continued to get worse in my life at that time. Uh, But thankfully, there's a, a good ending as I clung to the Lord. I realized that out of anything and everything else, he is the one that will never fail. He is the one that will never leave. He is the one that will always be there no matter what. But much like the storm, it didn't ease all of my fears. It didn't make all of my problems go away. But there was comfort in knowing that God was with me, that he was the one that was protecting me and taking care of me. That's what I want to focus on today as we go through this psalm. And there are really three parts of it or three stanzas and as I mentioned before, this, the psalms were all originally songs. They were meant to be sung. And as we look at uh, the beginning here uh, of the text, and this is part of the text, uh, bef- what, what's actually before verse 1 there. It says, To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. I find it interesting to look up what some of these old words mean, and uh, some of them Everyone's in agreement on, of, oh yeah, this is Hebrew for this, and so it obviously means that. There's a lot of these where you get a lot of people with a lot of degrees and a lot of smarts that basically are saying, we have no idea what this says. We don't know. Now, the Alamoth, uh, according to many sources, probably means something along the lines of this was sung uh, in, in a higher, more soprano-type voice. The word means like a young virgin woman, so something along those lines. Uh, but the other word that you see in here, repeatedly is that word selah which shows up many times in the psalms and that is the one rather universally nobody really has a good idea of what it means there's some guesses there's some speculations Uh, probably the best uh, definition that i came up with was and even the new living translation will translate it this way rather than saying selah it'll say the word interlude this could be a musical interlude between the stanzas but i think what's most important about this word selah is that it's a time to reflect upon what has just been said, or in the case of the ancient Israelites, what has just been sung to them. And so when you see that word selah, don't just skip over it, but stop for a moment, think back and reflect upon what was just said before the text continues into more. So looking at this psalm, I want to just kind of pick it apart here and examine a few things. So first God says, or first the text says that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in 
trouble. You see the word refuge, I thought back to the Old Testament times, back to the book of Numbers, where they set up those cities of refuge. If you remember when they were getting the land uh, ready, they were divvying it out. Uh, they put these cities of refuge throughout Israel. And the reason for it, according to Numbers 35, 6, says the cities that you give to the Levites shall be the six cities of refuge, where you shall permit the manslayer to flee. And in addition to them, you shall give 42 cities. So it's set up at the time of Moses that if someone accidentally killed someone else, they were able to flee to these cities and they would be kept safe. And there was other rules and regulations as to how long they were to stay there and what they were to do and so on and so forth. But it was universally recognized in Israel that if you went to one of these cities and you stayed within its walls, you were safe. It didn't make your problems go away. It didn't make the accident that happened vanish. But you were safe from retribution. You were safe from punishment as long as you abided by the rules. And I think that's the, the key here is that nowhere in Scripture, and there's various passages that we could look at and turn to, nowhere in Scripture does it just promise that our problems are all wiped away and gone. You trust in God, all your problems are gone. Now, there's false teachers that would say such things. You'll never be poor again. You'll never be sick again. You'll never. But that's not what's reflected in Scripture. And as we see here in this first verse, it says that God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble in the midst of difficult circumstances in the midst of hard times that's when God is our refuge what's the point of going to a refuge if all your problems are gone if God just makes all your problems vanish and disappear then you don't need a refuge right because you don't even need God he just you call on him and say hey Lord take care of this he wipes it out then you go about your merry way but the point of this is when we encounter trouble when we encounter hard times we will cling to God we will run to him we will go to him and he will keep us safe in the midst of that trouble. You know, our strength needs to be in Him alone and not in, a, in, a, not in ourselves. And when we go through a difficult and hard situation, we often come to the end of ourselves very quickly. We realize how much we can't really handle and how difficult things really are when we try to do it on our own. Isaiah twelve two says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. That's one of many verses in Scripture that focus on the fact that God is our strength, that he is the one we go to and we cling to in the midst of trial. He is the one that will help us. It's not us. And we often think of calling on God when we need a little, little help. I'm doing good, but just, just help me out a little bit here. Okay, now I got it. You can back off. That's often how we think of it, but God is that very present help or ever-present help, some translations say. In other words, he is always there to not only to be our refuge, but to be our strength. Deuteronomy 31.6 echoes this, Be strong and courageous, do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. God is always there. Always there, a very present help in trouble. No matter what happens, he is always there. Look at these next verses here, verses 2 and 3. Therefore we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Now, obviously we don't live near mountains here, but we've all seen the mountains before. Uh, the Appalachians are pretty impressive with all their trees everywhere. But the Rockies, there's something about the Rockies. 
because of the very name there, they're just a rock, the solid rock that you see in them. And if you go deeper into them, how they're just everywhere. And you can't even imagine the Rocky Mountains being moved, being torn apart, being torn down. We even think of that a lot, and which is why I think 9-11 shook us up so much as an American culture. We think a lot of our cities and our buildings are just always going to be there. Nothing's ever going to happen. Nothing's ever going to happen to them. And then when we saw those buildings tumble, we saw the Pentagon in flames, it, it really shook everybody up. That just shouldn't, shouldn't happen. But that's the thing that God is trying to get a point or get across to us in this passage here. The point he's trying to make is that no matter what's happening, even the most crazy, most monumental destruction that you can imagine, God is still our refuge and our strength. So he uses these examples from nature. The earth gives way, the mountains be moved. But everybody has that, that, that thing that seems unmovable in our life. You know, maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a, the house we live in. Maybe it's the position we have. Maybe it's our intelligence or our education that we have. Uh, and it could be anything. And none of these things in and of themselves are inherently bad. But if there's one theme that you see throughout Scripture, uh, something that is repeated over and over again, and God doesn't do this just to do it, but to remind us that He is in control, that oftentimes those things are ripped away from us. You look at the story of Joseph in the Old Testament and Daniel, everything they knew was ripped away from them. They were taken far away from their homes and put into a, another culture, and, and Daniel especially uh, knew about, and what, what he saw we don't know, but knew about the destruction of Jerusalem. They never thought Jerusalem would be destroyed. The destruction of the temple, never. In a million years did the Jews think that that would happen. But everything that he once knew and thought was right was completely and totally destroyed. But his trust was in God. He didn't give in to despair. He didn't give up. But he knew that no matter what, God is in control. God was truly his refuge and strength. Hebrews 13.5 really is a an echo of Deuteronomy 31.6 in many ways. Uh, it says, keep your life free from love of money. In other words, don't, don't put your trust in that. Be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So no matter what else you have, God is with you. God is your refuge. God is your strength. He continues on in verse 3 about the, the waters roar and foam. The mountains tremble. At its swelling, everything that you once knew, everything that you once loved, destroyed. What would we do? What would we think? Would we turn to God? Would we trust in Him? Would we give in to despair? Oh, woe is me! And we all turn to something, to someone, in the midst of hard times. And then there's that word sila. So reflect upon that. The psalmist is saying, think back upon that. And you could imagine as this psalm was played in worship and the music was continuing to play and the words were echoing in your ears as you thought about what was just said and what that means. But he continues into the second stanza. Verse 4 says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. This reminded me of Psalm 23, especially the first few verses, where it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. 
He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Life with God is peaceful and good despite outside circumstances. That's what we often are striving for as humans as we are striving for happiness. We want to be happy all the time. But really, you should be striving for joy, contentment with God and what he has given us, not what we think we should have or longing for what is now missing, but we should be striving for an understanding of how good things are with God. And you get that picture here, a river. So in contrast to the waters that were roaring and foaming in the stanza before, here is a a gentle river going by and God living amongst the people. says in verse 5, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. So this is our foundation. Our foundation in God, our trust in Him, is unmovable. It will never be moved. Nothing can come that will knock that over. Nothing will come that will be too powerful for God to handle. And we look at uh, Jesus' illustration in Luke chapter 6. He says, He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Our foundation is on God. And if our foundation is on God, let the storms come. And they will come. And as they beat against our life and as they wear us down, our strength is found in the Lord. Our refuge is found in Him. No matter what happens, no matter how horrible or terrible these things can be, we can have our hope and our trust that God is our refuge. God is our strength. But the psalmist goes on. It says in verse 6, The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. That's not too different from our world today, is it? The nations still rage. Kingdoms still totter. We don't use the same terms maybe today. Uh, but you look around the world, you take a snapshot of different things. There's always turmoil over here or turmoil over there or problems here or, or rumors of war here or civil war there. I mean, it's, it, it's constant. That's throughout human history. That has been the case. But we see the supremacy of God here at the end of verse 6 and verse 7. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He utters his voice in the earth. That's all God has to do. The whole world can be shaking its fist at him. The whole world can be in upheaval. It seems like the whole world can be against us, and God just has to speak a word. That's how he created everything out of nothing, was just by speaking. And just by his voice, the earth melts. God is always there to help us. God is more powerful than all the nations, all the kingdoms on earth. He's more powerful than the earth itself. We look at things like the earthquakes and hurricanes and tornadoes and all these things and the, the power, the destruction that these things bring. But God is still more powerful than they are. And he is the one that's on our side. He is the one in whom we have our refuge. Joel 2.11 says, The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? You have that that picture there in verse 7. The Lord of hosts, the Lord of all the armies of heaven. He is more powerful than everything else. 
Nothing holds a candle to the power of God. But when we're in the midst of a difficult and tough situation, boy, it sure seems like that has all the power in our lives. It dominates all of our thoughts, all of our feelings, and it, it takes over. And it seems like that is all-powerful. But we have to turn back to Scripture and be reminded that God is all-powerful. All these things that we once thought were so terrible and so awful and so dominating in our lives, this we're on part two now, so dominating in our lives are nothing compared to Him. In a word, all of it fades away. All of it is gone. No one, as Joel says, can endure it. And He is on our side. Third stanza continues these thoughts. Come behold the works of the Lord. Come see what God has done. And God has done a lot. Psalm 126.3 says, The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. I think it's important for us as Christians to stop and to think what good things has God done for us. We often think about what tragedies have befallen us or what we don't have. Or we think about... uh, the things that God allows to happen. But do you ever stop and think about what are the things that God does not allow to happen to us? And there are many. And we often focus on the negative rather than the positive, and we should just stop and behold the works of the Lord, both what He has done in our lives and what He is doing in our lives. And we can even focus on what He will do, according to Scripture, in our lives later, the hope of heaven and spending it eternity with Him. But that's the idea here, is to think about what he has done and is doing. It's so easy to focus on the problems, to focus on the storms of life. Uh, I remember being younger and being just terrified whenever there was a tornado warning. Terrified. So scared. No matter what was, even if it was way far away, the sirens would go off, it stormed me out, I was petrified. I remember one time in particular, I was with my grandfather, and it was just something simple. We were like going to the store or something, and the sirens go off. I'm freaking out. Yeah, we're going to die. We're going to die. But he was calm, and he was okay. He said, everything's going to be all right. And we go back to the house. and It must have been some family gatherings. I remember other people being there, uncles and things. And they're joking around. I'm thinking, what is wrong with you guys? We're all going to die. You know, just being terrified of this storm. But we have to remember that, you know, from their perspective, they, they knew, and they, they knew this was a storm, they knew it was serious, but they knew it wasn't going to hurt them, it wasn't going to impact them, everything was okay. But we often focus on these things as if any problem in our life is just going to destroy us, it's going to take us over, nothing's going to be the same, We're all, all hope is lost, but God is there saying, it's okay. Remember what I've done for you in the past. Remember how I, I brought you through this trial. Remember how I'll bring you through the next. Just trust in me. I remember not long after that, not being too afraid of storms anymore. Now I enjoy them. I'm one of those crazy people. You know, <laughs> there's a tornado warning, and I want to look out the window, and the kids are saying, Dad, no. You know, it's come full circle now. <clears throat> Verse 9, he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, he shatters the spear, he burns the chariots with fire. You think about that in today's terms. He stops the tanks grounds the planes, disables the nukes, whatever you want to say, it doesn't matter, but you put in that in the modern terminology, the idea is the same, that God can not only stop wars, he can stop the ability 
to make wars, and ultimately he will destroy all of his enemies. You look to the greatest enemy. Revelation 20, verse 10 says, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. There's great hope there. One day God will have victory over all of his enemies. He will destroy them all. All those things that are giving us problems, all those things that are making us fear and doubt him, and in this case, they're, they're, they're large things, wars, the threat of other nations coming against you. And that could be a, a very real threat to us today, but, but also can be you know, what will happen if a family member dies. What would happen if I lost this job? What would happen if I got sick with cancer or some other life-altering disease? And, and God has the power to wipe it all away if need be. And one day, no matter what happens, it will all be wiped away forever. Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. We think that, though, isn't it? This is too hard. We might not say it, but somewhere we think, oh, no. Either we think God's too busy or he's not interested or something. We often think like that, subconsciously at least. Or I think this is just too big, this is too crazy. Nothing can save me now. It's, it's, all hope is gone. But what does Jeremiah remind us of? Nothing is too hard for him. He's telling the people, you, you, you remember this is the same God that created everything out of nothing? Nothing's too hard. What do you think is going to be too hard for God? Do you think your problem is too hard for God? No, nothing is too hard for God. Verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. That's an interesting phrase there towards the end of this psalm. It's in quotations. So you'll notice in your Bible, this is God himself speaking these words. And th- this idea of being still before him is echoed other places. Psalm 37, verse 7, it says, Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. This is something that I think becomes increasingly hard for us with all of our technology nowadays, is to be still before God. Just be still. Remember a, a friend I had, a close friend when I was younger, going up through high school and the early parts of college, and uh, our paths diverged. We went different directions, but... I remember him telling me once very clearly, and this always stuck with me, that he could not stand the silence. He always had to have music playing, television going, talking to somebody. Every time I was with him, it was almost to the point of like distracting and ridiculous because you couldn't even have much of a conversation. There was always something going on. And I remember him saying once he just did not like the silence. I think part of that was because if he was truly saved, which he at one point anyway claimed to be, he was living a lifestyle that was very unbiblical, sinful. I would imagine that was just gnawing at him constantly. And he, he didn't want the Holy Spirit bothering him with that. But oftentimes we do the same thing, not for the same reasons necessarily, but we like to keep, we're, we always want something going on. And 
it's different with everybody. Sometimes it's the radio that we always have on or music playing or television on or someone around us all the time. But there's always that point, though, where everything is off and everything is quiet. And for some of us, it might not be until we go to bed at night and there's silence. And there's that time where there's no distractions and there's nothing else going on that we can be still before God. And there's so many things that drown that out. And, and to be still and to reflect upon what has God done for us? What is he doing for us? It's so loud out there in the world. There's always something to pull us away. We get so busy with things and not all of them are in and of themselves bad, but we get so caught up in that that we don't just stop. And what does he tell us to do to think about all certain? All he says is this, be still and know that I am God. That's a packed statement there. That he is God. What does that imply? Well, many things. One, that we are not God. We are not in control of our own destiny. We are not in control of much of anything. The more we recognize that we have very little control over everything, that God has control over it all, the better off we're going to be. So he says, be still and know that I am God. Then he reminds us with these two things. I will be exalted among the nations. So you think everything's bad. You think evil is winning. You think the problems have taken over. He says, I will be exalted among the nations. In other words, there is a time coming that all the nations will exalt me. And then he repeats this even on a grander scale. I will be exalted in the earth. There is that time that is talked about elsewhere in Scripture that all the earth, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord. And so God is reminding us here, just stop. Just for a minute, just stop. Be still. Know that I am God. I am in control. And one day all these things that troubled you and plagued you so much will be gone. I will be exalted everywhere. And everything is under my control. Verse 11 ends the psalm here, and it ends it the same way as it ends the second stanza. Verse 7 is identical to it. It says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And so it talks about the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven's armies there. Then it says the God of Jacob, that reminder that this is, this is a very specific God. This isn't a God of our own design. This isn't a God that we make up and we fashion to fit how we want. Well, I don't like how the Bible says this, so I don't think God's like that. You know, people say that all the time, and what he's saying here is this is a very specific God, the God that is revealed to us in Scripture, the God of Jacob, the God that that came to Abraham, that came to Isaac, that came to Jacob, that showed himself to Moses and to Joshua, to the prophets and the kings after him. This is the God we worship, the one true God of Scripture, And it is much easier to despair and to give up if we don't know who the true God is, if we have a false understanding of God. If we don't know what the Bible tells us about Him, it's going to be harder to trust in Him. It's going to be harder to look to Him as our refuge and our strength if we have built this idea up in our mind of a false God, but not the true God as revealed in Scripture. 1 Chronicles 29.11 says, Yours, O Lord is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. There's a hope 
So in conclusion here, uh, I think we just need to remember that everything that we hold dear will one day fade away, but God will not. And you, you see this, there's many examples. I, I think of this with my grandparents, really both sets of grandparents. Uh, my grandpas have passed away. My grandmas are still alive, but uh, one grandma, her mind is completely gone now, and she's got dementia very bad, and all those things that were once so stable and they seemed so rock solid, he, he's passed on and she's pretty much gone. And then I looked at my other set of grandparents, and I was much closer to them, and, and he's passed away, and Grandma's mind is still there, but her body is gone. She's confined to bed, and she's in a nursing home now. And, and I know one day, I mean, it won't be too long, and she'll pass away as well. But I remember being younger thinking, boy, that, that, how can that ever be? And especially when my, my grandpa passed away a few years ago, and the reality of the fact that they're not always going to be there. And the, the house that they lived in forever is no longer theirs. They had to sell it. And and I think about that with my own parents and eventually my own siblings and eventually myself. One day all these things that we thought would always be there and always be the same will one day pass away. Think about the, the skills that we have and jobs that we have and one day all those will be gone too. With the ever-ending onslaught of age in our lives, it's just an inevitable part of life. and. And so we can focus on all those things and say, oh, woe is me. I miss my family. Woe is me. I'm not quite as sharp as I used to be. And we can go on about all these things. But we have to remember, though, that even though everything else fades away, God will not. And, and kind of the irony is here that the, the more of this stuff that fades away, the closer we can draw to God until ultimately we spend eternity with him in heaven. That is our hope. And that is what we long for. And with that in mind, in the forefront of our mind, nothing that this life throws at us is going to come even close to shaking that foundation. Because as though the earth gives way, the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this reminder from your word. Lord, how important it is for us to remember that no matter what happens in our life, no matter what trials and tribulations come, and they will come, that we remember that you are there for us, that you are always there for us. And Lord, I pray that as we go through this life, we will draw closer to you. May we always remember all that you have done for us, all that you are doing for us, and all that you will do for us one day. In your name we pray. Amen.